Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk the faces behind your books. Uh, tonight is my pr privilege and a pleasure to welcome Alessandra Torre to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's fun to have you on because uh, you do so many things. Not only are you a New York Times bestselling author, but you also um, host a, a con of your own. And you also are involved in um, a really cool program we're going to talk about in a little bit here with uh, Binge Books and also Authors AI. So you have got a lot going on. How do you keep it all straight? <laughs> um, not very well. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a I'm I'm a bit scatterbrained at the moment, but um, I've gotten a lot better at juggling multiple things. And honestly, you know, I I first started out as a writer, and then I moved into online courses and things like that. And I liked jumping between the worlds because it was like different parts of your creative brain mm -hmm. and, um, and different sides of the industry. So it's, it's nice to have the variety, but, um, but it's, they're long days right now, but that's good. Yeah. Um, how long have you been in, in the business, in the writing business? Uh, since 2012. So okay. July, 2012, I self pubbed my first book. Um, so eight, eight years, eight and a half years, something like that. Yeah. It keeps jumping up. Yeah. Yeah. seems longer and longer. And in, in writer time, in an author time, that's forever. That's basically... It's forever. I'm an ancient, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the self pub world, it's funny. It's funny because like when we were starting out around that time, it didn't seem like it. It seemed like we were, you know, It, seemed, it seemed like we were behind then. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I came in, I'm like, man... So many authors have been here longer than, than me. But then there was really like a, a weeding out that happened, I think, you know, mm -hmm. in the last three years where yeah. a lot of, I mean, big names that were big names in 2012, 2013 are gone. You know, they're back mm -hmm. to their day jobs and back to, you know, yeah. And I other think life. burnout is a real thing that um, <laughs> authors run into as far as this, this career. It is not easy to maintain. It it's is. not, it's not easy emotionally, um, financially, right. I mean, physically, I mean, I, I dismissed so many like aches and pains I was having. I was like, Oh, it's just from the way I write or just the way I, whatever. Um, so it can be hard on you and mm -hmm. yeah. And I agree. I think that it also helps because I am in different buckets of the writing world. I think it's helped with my burnout. Yeah. Not avoid burnout. Right. And the, the, you know, a little bit less stress from having multiple streams of income. I, one thing I, mm -hmm. I do see that a lot of the authors that are surviving and, uh, you know, maintaining are the ones that have figured out how to pivot into different areas like courses and, mm -hmm. and um, just, you know, find more ways to, to fill your little money buckets because it, it takes, takes an effort. Yeah. And that's part of the emotional thing. Um, so many authors are like so anxious to quit their day jobs and write full time. And I'm always like, you know, that is not the ideal scenario because the pressure that you put on yourself when that is your sole source of income is enormous. Like, and suddenly it's not just like, I hope this book does well. It's like, if this book doesn't do well, I can't pay my mortgage. Like that, that is an enormous amount of pressure put on your creative works um, and an industry that you often don't have control over. So I think the perfect scenario is is having another job or having another source of income and then being able to have the freedom to write what you want at the pace you want and publish however you'd like and and not attach so much strain on yourself because like talking about burnout I mean and you know divorces I mean it's just mm -hmm. it's just bad all around 
And I think people re don't realize that you're becoming a writer, but you're also becoming a publisher. And the mm -hmm. majority of things that publish publishers put out fail. Most of yeah. the titles they put <laughs> out every season, every quarter, their catalog, the majority of them go nowhere. And they're yeah. just rolling the dice, hoping that they're going to get a couple of winners. And that's going to float the boat and pay the bills for until the next you know catalog comes out. And I think I'd that, love to know the stats like of authors that earn out their advance, but I bet um, it's something like, you know, 20% or less. I mean, right. And I think that we have this sort of rose tinted view of things as Andy's going, Oh, all my books are going to be successful. And of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember the shock the first time I had one that didn't really sell. It went nowhere. I spent all this money on it. Cause I, my, I had progressively made more money the first few books. Then the next one, I'm like, I'm going to shift genres and do this totally crazy thing. I'm going to spend a ton of money on it. And uh, yeah, that was a big <laughs> <laughs> And you were like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, so that's that's I remember the first feel. time I had a flop, what I considered a flop. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I had those sales today, I would be like dancing in the streets. But at the time it was like, right. oh my gosh, world is crashing and burning. This is like yeah. 2015, I think. And yeah. I just convinced myself like my career was over. No one was ever going to buy my books. And I'm like sobbing on the couch. And my husband was like, you have to think about the fact that you're going to earn money on this book every month for the rest of our lives. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like stop putting all this pressure on your books first three, you know, three weeks or three days of the release, like mm. calm down. Like, you know, this is, yeah, this is going to be a long-term earner and he's right, you know? Um, yeah. but, but it was, it was emotional. <laughs> Been there. I'm sure we'll be there yeah. again. Um, we don't necessarily learn our lessons the first time. We still have all these high expectations no. every time we launch a book and it's hard, it's hard to temper those, but um yeah i think it's good advice and I, I i wave that banner all the time that have multiple streams of income keep your day job um mm -hmm. because there are other things to do besides writing too and I, I mean i love my my other job so i'm in you know my aviation job I, and i think that there's plenty of things like writing is not the only gig in the world it's a great one but it so also anyway. like your other lives feed your novels you know because mm -hmm. I can tell you when I'm locked away in my house for three months straight and I never leave because all I'm doing is writing. I mean, how how much am I experiencing the world? Like how many people am I coming in contact with that are giving me ideas for storylines and characters? You know, I mean, it's that those life experiences are what, you know, feed our books. So it's nice to have especially and you're really lucky if you work like, I don't know, at a police station or something like that. That is just a constant um, idea funnel course yeah there's only so much you can get from tv and you can kind of yeah. tell you can kind of tell what's been pulled from tv because it's not that accurate uh in the real life real life experiences obviously give a lot more color to your stories yeah uh, and everyone else is watching those same tv shows you know so exactly. you have that person reading that book that's like huh this is just like the disappearance of madeline mccain you know <laughs> so yeah yeah we want to watch your source material for sure and yeah, actual life experience is the best kind of original source material for sure. But um, you obviously give back to, I mean, you've been in the industry for a while, but mm -hmm. because of the fact that you're you know, willing to do courses and things like that, it means that you obviously have a soft spot in your heart for new writers and you want to turn around and give back. I know you, you is it right that you have a course about um, Goodreads? Uh, I have a free uh, webinar that I do on Goodreads. Okay. 
I, I'm a big Goodreads. I'm, I'm that rare author that's like, go to Goodreads. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I'm a big advocate for Goodreads. And I do at least once a year, I'll do um, a series of webinars. And I have a lot of YouTube videos on Goodreads. So there's a lot of w free ways that authors can promote their books on Goodreads. But for the most part, um, authors like to tell other authors to stay away from Goodreads and they like to avoid Goodreads. I think that people misunderstand Goodreads, especially because of the star system. If, you, if they just look at the stars and they think that they mean the same thing as they do over on Amazon, they don't. If you look yeah. at them and actually click read, the, you know, because Goodreads readers know what those stars mean. And three stars is actually really good. Four is I think, great. yeah, I think it, it's either good or really good. Yeah, three it's stars. Like, it's, it's definitely yeah. I liked it. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not, you know. Yes, I so, think it's so. I liked it. Yeah, yeah so I, I liked think it. And then there's like, but four is like, I really liked it. And then five is like, I, it was amazing or something like that. And it's like, it's hard to label amazing to every book yeah. that you read. You know, like, How you know, many oh, I books liked it, I loved it. that are amazing. I mean, for right. me, it's like one a year, maybe, it, that right. I would call amazing. Yeah. Um, they should be happy that over there, their one-star reviews aren't really that bad. No. <laughs> just didn't quite care for it. Wouldn't recommend it or whatever, but I can't remember what, what, what that one's labeled. But... Um, yeah, I think the reason why authors really hate Goodreads is because when you have a negative review there, it gets attention, right? Mm. Like someone can put a negative review on Amazon. And if it's not on that first, like five most helpful reviews, like no one really ever sees it. Right. But on Goodreads, they can add gifts and they can add, you know, images and they can really describe it. And you can really experience the anguish that they felt and the hatred yeah. that they felt for this book. And then you've got like a hundred people commenting on it. And so people are like, oh my gosh, I hate Goodreads. But you have to realize there's that same level of activity and passion behind the good reviews too. Like what you're hating is the exposure that that book is getting, which mm -hmm. even a bad review can, it, you're, someone's still hearing about your book you know, um, and, and they might still buy it. I, I'm of the opinion that no exposure that is bad exposure for your book. Yeah, I agree. I, I really enjoyed good. It was a big part of my formative career <laughs> as an author. I spent a lot, I spent a good, you know, couple of years there, uh, moderating <laughs> a group, uh, or getting involved in the group and then becoming a moderator. And uh, I haven't had as much time there lately, but I am pro Goodreads. I think it's a great place. It's full of readers. Why wouldn't you it want to go there? 100% focused on readers finding and recommending books. Yeah. Why would we not want to be there? Yeah. Of course. And um, what are some of the tips you have for, do you, you mind sharing a couple? The couple ones? of the what I have? The tips for, you know, making it over Oh, good for Goodreads. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. I'll try to keep it brief. Yeah. Um, so the good news is you don't have to be um, super active on Goodreads, like 15 minutes a month, literally. I mean, 15 minutes a month is all you need. Um, but for those of you who think you don't need to be on Goodreads, one of the most powerful things about it is it's SEO. So it, I don't care if you're Sylvia Day or if you're some author that no one has ever heard of. If you Google your name, Goodreads is going to be in the top three results. Mm -hmm. um, so people are finding your Goodreads page, whether you visit it or whether you have a, a hand in it or not. It's there. Your books are there. So um, you want to go in and make sure that that information is accurate. And the things that are really important for you to check is your release date for your upcoming mm -hmm. books, because... Um, on that date, Goodreads will send an email out to everyone who's added it. And if that date is wrong, they send out the email on the wrong date. So you want to make sure that that's accurate. You also want to make sure to add your ASIN numbers and your ISBN numbers, if you have one, to the um, book's metadata. And that's 
that actually ties the um, purchase buttons on Goodreads to your specific page versus um, tying them to an open search on Amazon, which will also bring up sponsored results and things like that. So it's really important if you do anything, just make sure that your release date and your ASIN number is added to those book pages. And, um, and then just you um, record the books you read, uh, you know, use your status updates on your own books, use blog posts. And the most powerful thing is giveaways. Giveaways are well worth, they used to be free, now there's a cost. Do the inexpensive giveaway, which is out of the two, do the cheaper one um, and uh, have it end before release day. That's the major thing because um, it will then uh, send out a release day notification to every single person who entered that giveaway. And that can be really powerful. That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> They'll at least know that it's out and, and someone will have won, of course. And be happy yeah. Win, yeah. I think that that's fantastic advice. I, I need to go back over there because I, I every once in a while I wander back over there and make, oh, it says I only have this many books. <laughs> I have this many books now. And, and it's... <laughs> Updating things is this ongoing chore on your to-do list. Going back through your back matter of your books, make sure. I, I recently discovered. Oh, back matter that, is uh, like. Yeah. Mine is terrific. Yeah. Yeah. And even just making sure I've, I've updated things sometimes in vellum or whatever. I need to make sure that those documents are actually the ones that are on Amazon and not, you know, I've, yeah, yeah, I updated them from my computer. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I love that my back matter is It's saved in your Dropbox folder but, somewhere. Yeah. Great. Have yeah. I up, actually uploaded it? I need to, you know, ah, uh, gosh. And yeah, the longer you're in this, the more those things pile up, you know. Um, but yeah, that's 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 wonderful um, advice. Thank you for sharing sharing a little bit. Absolutely. Of that. Um, and of course, you're also involved with binge books now. How? Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you got involved with binge books and kind of where <clears throat> you see that going. So Binge Books, for, for those of you unfamiliar with it, um, is a um, reader community. So it's an online site where readers can find books. Um, our focus is really on book discovery. So imagine Goodreads, but not owned by Amazon and not built in the same way, but it, it fills the same sort of hole in the marketplace. Um, so Binge Books has, um, is created by Authors AI. And Authors AI is a, um, a company that was founded by authors. So um, we have over 100 best-selling authors um, that created it. And um, Authors AI is doing really cool things. So Authors AI, this is a little confusing. So um, Authors AI is kind of the parent company. And under Authors AI, we have Binge Books, which is for readers. And we have Authors AI, which is for authors. And Authors AI uses artificial intelligence to read a manuscript and then give um, feedback, the same type of feedback you'd get from a developmental editor. Um, it doesn't, so our artificial intelligence is called Marlowe. And um, us authors did not create it. It was created by a data scientist who actually our um, co-founder is Dr. Matt Jockers, who was the co-author of the bestseller code. So he is an author, but, um, but it's, it's just a fascinating technology. And, I was really skeptical going into it because, you know, nobody knows books like, you know, like people. And it's it's true. We're not replacing human editors, but 
it's amazing what the technology can do and what it can understand about a plot and how, I don't know how it can tell when my plot twist is in the, in the book, but it can identify it, you know, and it can identify my character's personalities and, um, and my pacing. And it's just a really cool way to look at your book. So if you visit authors.ai, you can upload your manuscript. We have a free, um, AI report you can run, or you can run the the big fancy pro report, but um, you can upload your manuscript and within five minutes, you know, you'll have Marlowe's feedback on it. And it's just, it's just looking at your book in a completely different way, like that, that I've never thought about, you know, or seen my book displayed. So, um, so those are the two sides of the business. And I've been working with them, um, gosh, over a year. Um, we've been in development and we just launched binge books in the last few months. And um, Authors AI has been out um, six or seven months. So uh, there's a lot of really exciting things happening behind the scenes. So um, the next three to six months are going to be really exciting with both of those companies um, with, with what we have in development. Of course, you know, any AI is a learning tool. So it's learning. Yep. What are the things it's learning to do better? As, as it gets, I'm assuming as it gets more and more manuscripts, it gets, mm -hmm. um, is it, are you going to be branching into different genre specific reports that sort of thing yeah so currently when marla reads a book she just compares it to her bestseller corpus what we call her corpus right which is her um library that has been identified to her as as best-selling novels um so the more books she reads the smarter she gets and she gets smarter in terms of just understanding how stories are told um and how different things are told but she's also getting smarter in each genre so um, the next like step is genre specific reports or, you know, um, us comparing your manuscript to best selling um, thriller manuscripts or best selling sci fi manuscripts, um, but also book comparatives. So your um, plot line is most similar to the Da Vinci Code, you know, or your pacing is most similar to Harry Potter or something like that. You know what I mean? And you can kind of do a side by side comparison of your book with either with a specific book, like maybe you think that you write exactly like Stephen King, you know, well, okay, let's look at your writing side by side with Stephen King and see, um, and see if your storytelling is similar or it can identify, um, it can identify for you what book your or what author you're writing is most similar to. So that, that isn't there now, but that's what, that is what is ahead as she gets smarter and smarter. We don't want to unveil anything until um, it's been tested and until, you know, her, her knowledge is way past what it needs to be um, for us to feel confident in it. Um, but that's, yeah, that's what, as she's learning, she'll be able to get more and more specific. And then eventually she'll be able to read, you know, millions of books and identify, you know, um, maybe, you have an unknown book that no one's ever heard of, but she can identify that out of her library of 2 million books, it's the book that is most similar to um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that could cause a reader to find it that might not yeah. have ever been able to find your book before. Yeah, that'll be a fantastic search tool for, for writers and for readers. Yeah. And for readers. Yeah. yeah. Lu Lucy Score is watching. I know she's a binge books author and she's, yeah. says, she says, hi, guys. Um, and Janelle Blanche is like, hi, Janelle. Um, so yeah, and Janelle is a, a reader saying that we're not selling her on the author business because I guess how hard we're <laughs> making it sound, I guess. Uh, but, um, she's a 
she's a fantastic uh, reader. She's been one, you know in contact with me for for years now. I think so. Hi, Janelle. Thanks for tuning in, saying hi. But um, I love first off, I love the fact that you named her Marlowe because mm -hmm. you know as a as a, I've been writing in the detective genre recently, so yes. that that reference was not lost on me. And um, it was a was... difficult decision, let me tell you. There was like weeks of conversation over what to name her, or even to name her. Like for a, yeah. a long time, she never had a name. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like, oh, our AI. And then um, one of our team members was like, oh, we should personify her. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we always knew she was going to be a girl, though. That was always. <laughs> That was always decided. You have to have a good relationship with your editor. It helps to, you know, be yeah. on a first name basis. So yeah. I, I, I second that. I think that's a great idea that you did that. Um, that's really, that's really cool. Um, so as a, what the reader experience is going to continue to grow there on binge books. And we're going to be able to interact with, with, um, you know, the books we love and find recommendations. I think that's fantastic because one of the hardest things I think is like finishing a book and be like, well, what do I read next? And how do I mm -hmm. find that book? And, and also I, as a reader, I'm sorry, as a writer, people often ask, well, who do you write like? And I don't yeah. know. I mean, I it's just, a hard, I have no idea who I write like. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I'm brilliant and one of a kind and no one else, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, so binge books has a lot of different focuses. So one is really on community. Like we we feel like there's a whole in terms of a gathering place where authors and readers can can interact, you know, in a friendly and happy place. So um, so that's that's one of the focuses is really building a, a community um, where we can have a lot of author events, author reader events, and interaction, and really because. Um, because that doesn't exist on Goodreads, you know? Um, so, and it's certainly discouraged on places like Amazon. Mm -hmm. So that's one. The other is um, what we call binging. So binge books is binge books. So binging is um, just uh, easily being able to access the first chapters, just like um, from your phone or from your computer. But then book discovery is our third thing. Because like you said, I mean, how many times do you read three or four bad books? Not bad, but maybe just not what you're wanting in search of the next good book. Like if we yeah. could always find just exactly what we're looking for, like that would be, that would solve, that would solve and change so many things in our industry. Yeah, I agree. Although it does make it daunting as the writer to make sure you're in that group yeah, of no recommended books, not in the ones that are being left out. Because yeah. you, you know, fail to, to meet the criteria. Well, that's oh. one of the also like, uh, when I was talking to Marlowe's creator, Matt, uh, he's like, well, here's the thing. It's not just that we want to recommend books that are similar, but we also need a quality standard because, you know, you want to also recommend books that are well-written, you know, and, and strong. So, uh, so there's that extra element, like it needs to be similar to this book, but also a book that you feel confident recommending to a reader that they're not going to be disappointed by, the quality. Mm -hmm. That's part, yeah, because your reputation mm -hmm. as someone recommending books is important. Yeah, you know, that, that matters. People, yeah, you know, will, if you say you like something, people are going to take you at your word and say and assume it's good. Um, you obviously have a lot going on already. What drew you to getting involved, not just being an author with binge books and and, and involved with authors, I but to actually be a rep for it and you know, really take an active role in this. What, what, what inspired you to do that? 
Um, so initially when I came on the team, I was, I was not, um, now I'm CEO, but initially I was just, um, a founding author, you know, like every other founding author that we have. Um, but it was something I was immediately passionate about. I've been a Goodreads advocate for ever. I mean, for at least the last five years, I've been a passionate Goodreads advocate and I love Goodreads, but I understand that Goodreads has a lot of issues. And it was one of those things where I was like, man, if I could have been at Goodreads, the day they were building it, right? Like what would I, or if I could go right now and have a meeting with Goodreads and I could tell them everything that I would change about Goodreads, like it was just really exciting the idea that I could be on the ground floor and really help build something great. You know, for re I'm, a, I'm, I feel like I'm just as much of a reader as I am an author. Like we're in the author world the whole time, you know, but I'm, I was always a reader first and now I feel like I'll always be a reader. And so that was really exciting to me. And initially I, I, I didn't care that much about the AI. I didn't, you know, it was like, Oh, and it wasn't until I really started seeing all the things that were possible through the AI and that, and then I was like, I, it totally jumped over to like, Oh my gosh, like this is what is, I was, I was initially focused on how do we create a great reader community, right? Like if I'm building Goodreads from scratch, how do we do that? And then it was like, man, like we could really solve the problem of book discovery. So that, that, and then fitting that in together with authors AI is really amazing. And that doesn't even take into account the fact that how many authors can't afford editors, you know, and Marlowe allows them to at least um, have a, you know, non-biased immediate feedback on their novel. So there's a lot of great things that can happen with that, or even with helping um, acquisitions processes at literary agencies or publishers, you know, if they have a way to read a thousand manuscripts and see, you know, which ones are really well done. So there's just so many opportunities. And I was like, this is something it's worth it's worth me writing less books. It's worth me not producing new courses because it's something I really believe in. And, um, and the team I really believed in and the people behind it and the authors that we have. So, um, so it was, it was something I, I was like, I need to make it work with my schedule. However, that, however that happens, um, because it was something I believed in. For people who are maybe just exploring, if they go to the author's AI site and, and check it out, one of the things that I know many writers are a little bit nervous about is turning over their manuscript to strangers, yeah, uh, especially to a you know a, a, an AI, and they mm -hmm. have to submit their their you know possibly unpublished work here, most likely unpublished work, yeah, not only for for critique but just handing it over to someone. What are some of the ways that you can kind of assuage those fears and what's going to happen with their manuscript and yeah, I, it's a, it's a fantastic question, um, and it's a very valid. It's a concern any of us have, right? Especially like you said, this is the very first draft. No one has seen this. You know, what am I doing uploading it to this to this website? So, um, so the way the process works is when they upload a manuscript, they have the option of whether they want to contribute to Marlowe's corpus or not. So, whether they want Marlowe to learn from it, or whether it's just a transactional exchange that. Um, you know, never happened after it happens. So, um, so they can check that box. Um, it's up to them. And, um, and then when they upload it, it, without getting too technical, the manuscript is translated into a lot of numbers, basically, you know, um, each, each word is assigned a number. Um, so it, it, 
it translates into a format that no one would ever be able to read it. But um, and then it is fed through Marlowe that way. The manuscript is is destroyed. The the numbers are destroyed after Marlowe finishes reading them. And um, unless it is contributed to a corpus and then they are stored, but they're again stored in a way that I or anyone else could never read um, because it is just a bunch of numbers. Um, and then uh, the report is produced. And we've had authors who have lost their manuscripts and they want, you know, or they want to run a report again. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't keep that. Um, we don't keep the manuscripts. They're automatically erased and, um, and we don't have a way of, of creating them. It's all done through an automated um, process or we don't have a way of accessing them. So uh, we are all authors. Um, so that was one of the very first things that was very important to us. And our security was very important to us. We also have publisher databases. Um, we've had publishers who have donated their entire um, library of books and manuscripts to Marlowe. So we have an enormous responsibility um, for those manuscripts, you know, to make sure that um, they're protected. So security has always been something um, that we've had um, had in mind and, and kept in mind with everything that we've built. But, um, but there's also author, authors are also afraid of, um, of the feedback. Um, so I think they're a little intimidated by Marlowe. A lot of times that's the other thing. And um, I think the free report helps with that because they get it back quickly and they're immediately like, oh, okay. Like it, it, um, I don't know. You realize that there's not a person there. Right. So, um, so it takes away a little of the, um, the fear and she's very kind. She doesn't say your manuscript's horrible. Um, she suggests ways that it can be, it can be improved, but, um, but she's, she's very kind in her feedback. So those are normally the two biggest, um, concerns that we hear from authors is, yeah, what happens to my manuscript? Um, is it safe? And, um, and then, uh, does, do I feel comfortable with getting feedback from a machine? And I think even human feedback, the first time you get your draft back from an editor all marked up, you bristle and you think, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They're crazy. They, yeah. don't, know, they don't know me at all, what I really meant. And, and sometimes it's right. I mean, sometimes yeah. you can have a fantastic manuscript, but you send it to an editor who doesn't like romantic sci-fi. You know what I mean? Like, um, and and they can be off with their feedback. So that's the good news is she doesn't blush, you know, she's not offended and she likes, um, and she likes all genres. So, yeah. so that's one good thing. That is really nice. So what sort of feedback have you felt was most informative if you've run your own manuscripts through? The very first thing I look at when I run a manuscript through is my, um, is my pacing, is my plot arcs. And, and how I'm pacing the um, the pivotal moments in my book. So that's the very first thing. I run my manuscript through Marlowe when it's like messy first draft. Um, and I completely ignore all the sections on misspellings or anything like that. And I really just focus on like, where is my action occurring? And is it evenly spaced? Um, and are my, you know, is my um, book moving, you know, in highs and lows and pacing? So that's the first thing. And that honestly is the most helpful thing for me that she does. And I've, I've do it on works in progress. But when I very first started testing Marlowe, I ran through my 
most popular book and my least popular book to see if I could identify anything. My most popular book, not surprisingly, did well. I mean, you know, I, w- I was doing everything right with that book. My least popular book took too long for the action to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I'm losing readers is I think it's just too slow um, in the beginning. And I wish if I had if I had had Marlowe back then, I would like to think that I would have added some, some, you know, action or some plot points um, in the first half. Uh, so she recommends every 10%, basically, of the book, um, something is happening that is changing that, um, that plot. So that's, um, that's normally, we call them story beats. And, um, and now I've gotten, I've gotten much better at it. Um, and I can tell sometimes looking at her, um, her report if I'm off. Yeah, makes sense. Can you tell um, for readers watching a little bit about your writing and what you what you do? Yeah, so I, I started out in romance. I've written 25 novels. Um, I'm hybrid, so I'm traditionally published with um, Thomas and Mercer, Hachette, and Harlequin. Um, but I'm really a self-published author. I mean, um, my, I've hit the New York times list seven times, all with self-published books. So my traditional books typically crash and burn. Um, and my self-published books do much, much better. But, um, but I write mostly romance though. Honestly, I'm a suspense girl. I read suspense. I love to write suspense, but the very first book I wrote was a romance and it, it just went crazy. And then suddenly I had an audience and they wanted to, you know, and then I wrote a sequel. And before I knew it, you know, I have 19 or 20 romance novels um, under my belt. And that's really where my audience is. But um, I'm trying to transition more into suspense. Uh, Nathan, you talked about, you know, you wrote outside your genre, you know, you tried. I am the worst. And I've been able to do it because I have other income streams, but I have jumped genres just like a crazy person. And, uh, and sometimes I knew it. I was like, I'm writing this book and I, I don't care if it makes a dollar. Like this is a story I have to tell. And it's completely outside of my wheelhouse, but I have to tell the story. And, um, but because of that, I've been very unpredictable with my readers and I have not been consistent. And that's hurt. It's hurt me, um, tremendously. But I look back and I'm like, would I, would I have changed things and would I have not written that book? And, um, and I don't know that I would because, you know, when you have a story to tell, you just sometimes got to tell it. So yeah, I'm, I'm right here with you. <laughs> I, I do the dumb thing and write the story I want to tell too. And yeah. it doesn't make I any know sense. as I'm doing it, I'm making a mistake. Yeah. Like I marketing or business wise, I'm like, but gosh, I love this story and I love these characters and I'm just going to keep going. But as a writer, I'm a, um, I'm a pantser. Um, I now try to do a very rough plot um, outline just so I make sure I'm not too far out. But I am a pantser by nature. And I write, I used to write four books a year. Now with everything I have going on, I'm down to two books a year. Um, But, uh, but I'm hoping, you know, in a couple years to retire, and then I can write, just write all the time and write whatever I want to (laughs) write. That'd be great. Fantastic. Um, why do you think that your indie published books have done so much better than your traditional? Um, because, because I have control over them. So, um, part of its price point, um, my traditional, um, first traditional suspense series that was with a chat was at nine ninety nine um, ebook price. And my audience just wasn't 
ready for that. Um, and so, and that, uh, series was, was a hard to market series. It was an erotic thriller, which didn't really have a shelf at Barnes and Noble, right? They were like, we right. don't know where to put this. Um, so, but, uh, mainly it's just my indie books. I can pivot so much easier, right? I, I publish them and I'm like, man, like these aren't responding to ads the way they should be. So I'll change my book description, you know, mm -hmm. or I've changed my cover um, within the first two weeks of release before if, you know, I mean, if that's what I identified as the broken piece. And I could never do that with a traditional book, you know, I mean, they'd have meetings about it and then maybe like three or four months later, a decision would be made and I wouldn't have right. a part of it. You know? So, um, so just being able to do that and then also the ad spend. Um, so as an indie author, I feel confident and I will invest my own money in ad spend because I can immediately see if it's working or not working. Cause I can see those sales and with my traditional published books, because I can't see my sales. Um, and because typically I've already been paid. So, you know, my, and my, profit margin is so low on those books that I don't feel like I'm going to recoup money that I spent on advertising and they're not doing Facebook ads and you know, those type of marketing campaigns. I mean, with my indie books, I've had indie books where I haven't spent a dollar and I've had indie books where I've spent $30,000, you know, in release week, but it was, I knew that I was covering those expenses or not covering those expenses and I could make that decision. Um, and the traditional publishers just, just aren't doing that, or at least they weren't doing that with my books, which is now the caveat to that is Thomas and Mercer, which is my latest release. Um, and that's under a different pen name. That's under AR Tory. Um, it's, it's done fantastic. And it was an Amazon first read. So, um, I feel like they're in a cat, a different category, right. Than traditional publishers. And they are more, um, and just, they have just so much marketing dollars without even spending marketing dollars. Right. They, they're an I mean, Amazon they, imprint, right? To clarify, I'm sorry. Aren't they an Amazon imprint? Yeah, exactly. So That's not, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not a big to five clarify. or big four, whatever it is. Three yeah. Big, <laughs> Whatever's left. Yeah, I think it's going to be big four. Yeah. 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 So I, that's why I'm like, they're in their own, they're in their own category. Like mm -hmm. I consider them a traditional publisher, but I feel almost like it's a self-published book. Yeah. A little bit different structure. Yeah. And they're, they pivot <laughs> a little bit differently too on their own. They can do <laughs> things that other publishers can't and that we can't so we can't they yeah. have access to numbers and followers and emails to send out and things like mm. that that if a traditional publisher could do it they'd have to pay a crazy amount for it you know right so and getting, and getting in the first reads program that's huge because there's so little competition with you with you know a few books a month that are you're competing with and if you've got stellar covers and good copy you know you're gonna and I, I was really, I really had no idea what to expect from that. Cause I was like, gosh, okay. They're basically giving away your book for free, right. Mm -hmm. To every prime member. I mean, how, who's not a prime member nowadays right. um, and for an entire month. And then I have my release date and I'm not earning money on those prime reads, you know? So I was like, am I going to dilute my audience? Right. Like are, are all of my readers going to get it for free when it's in prime. Why wouldn't they, you know, it's, it's right. early and it's free. Like, right. why not? So I was really concerned. Um, but it was worth it for me because I thought I'll just view it as a lost leader and I'll just say, Hey, like it's massive exposure. Um, but it's turned out, I mean, it's done pretty well. Like it's still, um, we're now 44 days past launch. Like, so like, 
there was even the month of first reads and then it launched and then there was 44 days and I'm like ranked 150 or something. So I'm super, I'm, I'm happy. That's fantastic. You want to give people the title of that book? Oh yeah. That's every last secret. See, I'm a horrible marketer. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and plug yourself. Every last secret. Go buy it. It's amazing. <laughs> Domestic suspense. Yeah. You've got some, um, some cool covers too. I liked your ghostwriter cover. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that was, that was a self-pubbed cover. I've yeah. got it. Let's see if I don't knock over my entire. Yeah, this is Every Last Secret. This is my, my yeah, new baby. Yeah. yeah, that's A.R. Tori. And then this is the ghostwriter. That's the one Nathan is talking about. So, yeah. um, And it's a psychological suspense. And it's about, an its main character is a, an, a famous author. So if you're an author listening and you want to read a book about an author. Who is your um, cover designer for that one? She's no longer in the business, um, uh, but her um, her name was Sophie Hartley. She was actually an author, um, and um, Hartley and I can't remember Hartley Hart and Bailey Design Company. But she's no longer, yeah, she doesn't. Um, she has a full time job now, so she stopped. Makes your book even so, more rare, and people should. I know. Hey. For that. <laughs> <laughs> a special reasons. edition cover. That's yeah. right. Never will be seen again. Um, well, that's fantastic. I think it's really cool. Do you have any advice for anyone getting into the romantic suspense or uh, erotic suspense? Like any Or like your genre choices you've made, like anything that you wish you would have known starting out? Yeah, I I made a lot of mistakes starting out. And, and we kind of touched on this a little bit when you were talking about my courses. Like it wasn't so much as me giving back. It was like, gosh, when I got in this industry back in 2012, like there just wasn't the resources that there were now. Like, and I, I mean, I didn't even know about Goodreads, you know, for the first couple of months. Um, there weren't Facebook groups. Like it, like I felt like I was, I would wander blindly in a direction until I hit a wall and then I would turn and like wander in another direction until I hit a wall. And eventually I found my way out of maze, but yeah. I made so many mistakes and I wasted so much money. And so it was kind of like back then, if I could have had a, like how to write a novel for dummies or how to publish or how to market, that was really what I needed. I need like a, a for dummies product. And so that was what I created with my courses. It was like easy to understand, like not super craft heavy in terms of language and imagery. Um, but, but that was what I, what I wanted. What, I created what I wish that I had had. And in terms of the mistakes that a lot of, and this is really across all genres, it's just, there's so much pressure to compete with other authors. Um, and, um, you know, they say comparison is the theft of joy or whatever that quote is. And it's so true in our industry. And it's so hard in our industry because we have this like giant scoreboard where you can see everyone else's sales and their number of reviews and what the blogs are covering them and, you know, what their sales rank is and who's getting book deals. And, um, and it's just so easy to be hard on yourself, right? And to, you know, ignore the literally hundreds of thousands of authors that are not just superstars and focus yeah. on the few authors that are just killing it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and you can really make yourself miserable that way. Um, so my, my advice is just, um, if you're in this business, be in this business because you love to write, right? Because that's what's going to, that's what's going to carry you through the hard times. And, um, and, and 
don't put yourself in a situation where you're financially dependent on your writing, right? So if you take away the financial pressure and then just focus on writing the best books you can. If you don't have an editorial budget initially, that's okay. But save up your money and try to make each book better. With every single book, you'll get better. And everyone like wants to hit your times list with their first book. But in all honesty, the best time to really go big is book six, seven, 13, 14, something like that, because you have a backlist that they can buy. And you've gotten so much better. Like my first book was a huge success. I didn't have a website. I didn't have social media. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And it was horrifically written. I cannot read my first book to this day. I, a publisher bought it or else I would I would take it off sale and I would rewrite it. But yeah. I can't. But I, anytime I hear someone's reading that book, I'm like, don't read it. It's called <laughs> Don't read it, <laughs> but readers still love it. But I, I got so much better with every book that I wrote. And, and that's the other thing is you'll compare yourself to Nora Roberts or you know Stephen King and, um, and they've had decades to perfect their craft um, and you know in a, in a professional editing team. And you're comparing your crappy first draft to that. Like you, yeah. you gotta go easy on yourself. So just take your time. This is a long, slow process. And as long as you're having fun and making great connections with other authors, and go to writers conferences and you know find local writers group and your thing. Just have a, have a good time. Be like, like, hey, maybe I could like go on a vacation every year off the money I make off my books. Like, how many hobbies? Do you make money on like you know versus it just costing you money? So maybe you can start you know buy a new car and and not your car payment every month from your books. But um, but just have fun and be patient. And it the more books you write, the better you will become, and the more sales that you'll have. And it just takes time. But if you're not having fun, don't be in this business to make money, right? Like <laughs> um, because it can happen. But um, but be in this business because you love books and you love you know stories and and that's the way to stay sane and happy i think that's fantastic advice i i agree with all of it um (laughs) if people are interested in your courses and say hey i like what she's saying i want more of this uh where can they find your your courses and, and learn more from you so i have two two websites i have alessandratory.com so that's my 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 reader website, right? That's all my books. And then I have Alessandra Inc., which is I-N-K.com. Um, and that's um, just free resources, webinars, um, and my, my online courses are there. And then if you're interested in an author's conference, we also have an annual author's conference it's available online or in person. Um, and that's in conferences in Dallas every year. Um, so that's, um, that's the, the conference. And then if you're interested in binge books or Marlowe, um, you can visit authors.ai or bingebooks.com. And um, binge books, we we have a wait list right now for authors to join, to bring in their books. You can join the site as a user. Um, and we'll be bringing in authors as soon as we can in the next um, couple of months. So you can get it on our wait list. But if you just visit bingebooks.com, you can go ahead and create a user profile. I think that's fantastic. Um, when's your next, I know you have an Inker's mini con going on soon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This weekend. this weekend. I'm a crazy person right now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just a little small thing we're doing. Um, Inker's the, the big con, which is every year is June, um, like seventh to ninth, something like that. Like June 3rd 
third through ninth because we have a, a craft boot camp that's like um, before it. So, and we're doing it. I mean, we're just going to see how it goes. Um, we might have to cancel the whole thing in three months. Who knows? Um, we still do the online conference, but for now, we are planning to do a, a small in person conference. Um, and then we'll do our larger event um, online, which um, last year we did it, or this year we did it completely online. And it was it actually fantastic. It went so well that we were like, hmm, maybe we should just online you know yeah. uh, from now on so who else organizes that with you um it's just uh, me and then i've got a team so okay. um we do it but um i'm the i'm the only person you would know i mean on the face of it um yeah. so the rest of um the rest of it is is, is my partner's team. is it genre specific at all like it's not it's fiction um but okay. we're all genres um so a lot of a lot of the attendees are romance authors only because so much of my audience is romance. Mm -hmm. But um, our digital, I, it'll be interesting to see this year because our digital attendees this last year were, I mean, really evenly spread out over every genre. So um, our, all of the classes and presentations are, um, you know, any genre. Well, I know that having, having missed out on conferences for 2020, I'm, you know, definitely itching to like get together with people again. Maybe I need to add on an extra conference this year. Yeah. To, you know, I know. Fingers crossed, we still get Nink and, um, you know, this one sounds. Where's yours located? You said. Mine's in Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Yeah. I can so. go to Dallas. <laughs> yeah. I can be talking about this. The place that was easiest to fly to. Yeah. Um, so that was really the main thing. And my sister is in Dallas, and she's um, and she handles all of our details so yeah how many authors usually can show up for this is there a limit to how many people can come yeah so um i don't i don't know the answer to that it's gonna be less than 200 i know that um I, i'm guessing that we'll probably have around 100 um we've got a huge amount of space our first year we had like 100 and it was always a small in-person conference and then we have almost a thousand online attendees but okay. um in person um I think we had like 125 attendees our, um, last, our first year, which was two years ago. And that was really a great size. Like by the time we left, everyone knew each other. You know, I mean, there wasn't a single person yeah. who, so many people came and didn't know the soul and they left. And I, I literally had met and talked to every single attendee. And it, and it wasn't just because it was me. Like we, we had all interacted. So I loved that size. Um, so, and this year with COVID, you know, it'll be yeah. important to keep that size down too. Of course. So if I yeah. had guess, it'll be somewhere around there. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. I think that sounds, sounds really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to put that on my radar for, I, I love conferences. <laughs> They're just so I, much. There's I, so much like energy there. I don't know. I always leave happier and enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do like a million things and take on everything. And I don't know. Yeah. Like there's just something special in the air. And the bonding too you get to do with with author friends it's like you've all been away to camp together or something so yeah. you, you get that it feels like it does we'll it see like you with the next one like, yeah, it feels yeah. Like camp. yeah we'll miss you guys you know we'll see you yeah next time. i haven't seen you for a year but yeah it's your one time to reconnect yeah adult summer camp but um yeah i think that's that's fantastic well, thank you so much. I know you were super busy and you've got, you know, conference this weekend. You've got so much going on, but you took time out of your evening to, to come hang out with us. And I really appreciate it. Uh, this is the best part of, you know, this job. Just getting to talk shop often. Yeah. yeah connect. So um, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And mm -hmm. um, 
And anyone interested, um, yeah, just, just hit us up on those links. But, um, but I've had so much fun, so thank you for having me on. Yeah, it was been a thrill for me too. I'll add those links to the comments too for anyone who's cruising through the Facebook group later and wants to check out those links. I'll add them to the comments. But thank you everyone for watching and for listening. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another great interview. So long.